0: Today, right now, the time we are entering is a time we also get to worship the Lord in listening to the word that is being proclaimed to each of us uh, this morning. And man, those songs, they they just point to the truth of how art, good art, has a unique way of moving the soul. One of the commentators I read on the Psalms, his name is Jim Hamilton, and he pointed out, that the greatest works of art point beyond themselves to something higher and deeper and more worthy than themselves. Because when a, when a work of art is truly magnificent, it, it brings about honor for the one who is the artist, right? Whether it's Michelangelo's David, that, that glorious statue, or Thomas Cole, the American painting, the painter, his series of paintings, the the course of empire, or Beethoven's Ode to Joy, or J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. (laughs) You knew it was coming. And for the young parents in the room, the Bluey episodes, (laughs) Sleepy Time, and Baby Race, those two episodes in particular, if you know, you know. When these works of art, when they rightly lead to appropriate praise for the the artist, because it's a demonstration of their creative ability, and it taps into something by something real and moves us to something greater than ourselves. Creation is no different. God is the artist of artists who demonstrates his majesty on the tapestry of this world. And this is exactly the message that David communicates to us in Psalm 19, which is going to be our, our primary text for today. We're going to be in a lot of passages of Scripture, but we're going to start and end in Psalm 19. And it reads this. It reads that the heavens declare the glory of God. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we bless you for the word you have given to us in the scriptures. I pray that as we enter into this time where we seek to expound its truths as well as some other doctrinal truths that are are proclaimed throughout the scriptures, that you would give us insight, that you would open the eyes of our heart by your spirit to see your wonderful son and his glory in the midst of your scriptures I pray that this time would be a time that lifts high the glory and honor of Christ pray that you would help me for I go weak and needy to the task of proclaiming your word Lord I pray that you would just empower me by your spirit to preach your word faithfully and that you would open all of our hearts to receive its truth and to walk in them in Jesus name I pray, amen. Now, to understand, I think, the significance of Psalm 19, I want us to back up a little bit and, and, under, and try to understand the broader concept of what the scriptures reveal to us about who God is as creator. And we've touched on this a little bit already in this series, but I want us to, to hit back on it again today. For Genesis 1 says this, "'In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, "'and the earth was without form, or void, and void.'" And darkness was over the face of the deep. And who was there? It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then John 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him not anything made, not there was not anything made that was made. So while my, more verses could be cited in the scriptures, these three passages I think are going to be sufficient to get us on the right track, because together they testify of the glorious nature, the glorious self-existent nature of the triune God who inseparably brought all of creation into being. You see God did not create because he needed to fulfill some need in himself. He did not he had no potential that he needed to actualize. He wasn't needy for the attention. He wasn't constrained by some external or internal necessity. No God being entirely self-existent, standing in need of nothing, freely decided to create the heavens and the earth. And this is very very important for us to understand because it establishes some ground rules right off the bat first the one is this is when you look outside when you look at every, everything that you see in this world it's important to know that what you're looking at is creation not mere nature you see what you see from the smallest atomic particles to the grandest of the galaxies that didn't come about by some random blind chance process No, it came into being by the intentional will of a good and holy creator. And then secondly, we see that God brought everything into being out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo is the technical term of that doctrine, but God created all things from nothing. He didn't have to rely on anything outside of himself. He, He brought all things into being through his son by his Holy Spirit. Every other artist that you have ever seen or engaged in their work. They had to rely on outside help or material, but God stands alone as the artist of artists who brought all things into being by the word of his power. And then lastly, this is important for us to understand, God and his creation do not exist on the same plane of existence. God transcends all of his creation. As much as I love Star Wars... God is not the force he is not to be identified with any part of his creation he transcends it all he is the creator everything else is the creature God possesses life in and of himself but all of creation receives its life its form and its purpose from God for Romans 11 says from from him and through him and to him are all things Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, since creation relates to God in this way, creation points us back to God. Because all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful that you see in the world, no matter where you see it, it all is pointing back to in some way, shape, form, or fashion to the one who is truth, goodness, and beauty itself. It's pointing back to God. So to sum up this kind of detour into understanding who God is as creator, we can state the doctrine this way. That God, being self-existent and independent from his creation, created all things from nothing through his Son, by his Spirit, such that all of creation reflects and points toward His glory. So now look with me back again at Psalm 19 and listen to it with that in mind. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, you know, the sun gives life to everything, <clears throat> which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You see, all of creation continually, continually declares <clears throat> Excuse me, the glory of God and his goodness throughout his entire creation yet there's a problem isn't there what's that problem sin because not only has sin caused creation to be subjected to futility so that in part now it also reflects part of the curse of sin but also sin Romans 1 says has darkened the minds of unbelievers such that we now suppress the truth we are spiritually blind or are at least born that way Unable to truly capture the glory of what David is pointing out in Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. We needed, and you need, if you haven't yet, you need the eyes of your heart opened so that we might be reconciled to God and truly worship him, truly see his glory that surrounds us and respond to it in a proper way. And only Jesus can do such a work. Hear me say that. Only Jesus can do such a work. It reminds me of the story, if you remember, in the, familiar with the Gospel of John. In John chapter 9, there's a man who was born blind. And if you want to, you can go and flip there. You're likely familiar with the story. I'm, some of the scriptures are going to be on the screen, and we'll just kind of walk through it. Thanks, Brandon. He says, As he passed by, Jesus said he, he saw a man born blind from, er, from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus correcting them, he says, It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in in him. He says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground... And made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and said to him, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now the unique way that Jesus did this miracle ought to key us into something. He didn't just heal him in, a, in, in the way that he normally did. He he was demonstrating something. So it should prompt us to go dive a little bit deeper and ask, what, "What's going on here?" I like how the early church father, Irenaeus, how he commented on this passage, saying, "'The Lord bestowed sight on the one who was blind from birth, "'not by a word, but by an outward action. "'He did this neither casually "'or simply because it happened this way, "'but he did it in order to show "'that it was the same hand of God here "'that had also formed man in the beginning. "'You see, by using mud and requiring the man to go wash,' jesus was depicting three realities one that jesus is the creator god who formed adam in the garden out of the mud out of the clay and that two, that jesus is the one not only who was the creator but he's the one who would recreate his people healing them from the curse of sin and he pointed to the need of the inward washing or regeneration of the holy spirit you see this blind man While he possessed a very real physical problem, he's meant to point towards, be a symbol, so to speak, of something much more deep, much more significant. The spiritual blindness of those who are dead in their sin. Those who are unable to see the glory of God that the heavens continually declare. And this becomes even more clear as the story continues. The Pharisees bring this blind man in to question him because they were ticked off. Because he was telling people, Jesus this was the one who, the one they called Jesus is the one who healed me. And they bring him in, and they, say, they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I loved what the guy says. He says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Of course, the Pharisees, they're unwilling to accept it. They're blind in their sin. That's the, that we're, we're, they're the blind ones of this story. That's the point of John 9. The Pharisees, not the blind man, are the ones who are blind. And they say, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the guy's like, do you want me to tell you again? Like, I've already told you. Like, do you want to be his disciple? We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This is never since the world began. Has it ever been heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man born blind? If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees at this point are furious. And they go, You were born in utter sin? And you would teach us? Get out of here. And they cast him out. You see, the Pharisees might have had physical sight their entire lives, but they were as blind as bats when it came to their souls. This is why Jesus said in verse 39. He says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. You see, because these Pharisees had rejected Jesus to be God in the flesh, the promised Messiah of his people, they missed out on the healing and regenerating work that Jesus could have brought about in their lives. They walked away that day as spiritually blind as they'd ever been, blind to the glory of God that was surrounding them in creation and get this, the glory of God that was staring them in the face my plea for you today is to not follow in their footsteps Jesus listen, Jesus restores what was lost by sin in his recreated people his new people who come to him by faith I want to share a hard truth with some of y'all. For some of you in this room, you are missing God's glory in your daily life because you are not born again. You don't know the Lord. You're unregenerate. You're dead in your sins. Rather than being renewed each day by His mercies, as lamentations say, you're restless, you're wearied, You're worn down by the cares of this world. You're chasing satisfaction in all the wrong places. Not knowing that there's a void in your soul, your heart, that nothing can fill but the Creator. You're spiritually blind. And you're in need of the restorative work that only Jesus can do. Hear me say this. He will do it. If you come to Him in faith, He will not turn you away. If you turn from your sins and put your trust in Him and His completed work because He paid the penalty for your sin and He was buried and He he was resurrected into eternal life. He was ascended to be at the Father's right hand and He is now coming back, man. And it will be like when you get to the end of a good mystery novel when all the pieces fall in place and you'll have the eyes to see what was in front of you all along. You'll be able to see how God's creation, as David has testified, has continually proclaims with a united voice the glory of God day after day and night after night. And as you continue to study God's word, to walk with him, with his people, you'll be your vision for such things will become clearer and clearer, and you'll be able to be attentive to God's glory in your daily life. It's not just something that we experience on a, on a Sunday morning or whatever, but it's something that you'll see and be, and be aware of All the time. For what does the rest of Psalm 19 say? It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. in verse 14 let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my rock and my redeemer Amen. you see what David is getting across in this last half I think is clear that for those, of the, for those in Christ and if you're not in Christ I invite you today to believe in Christ be reconciled to God I implore you today is the day of salvation But for those who are in Christ, the Word of God is to be the lens through which we see the world so that we might be attentive to the glory of God in our daily lives and worship Him in response. We're to be attentive to the glory of God in our daily lives, worshiping in God in response because we're seeing everything through the lens that the Bible provides for us to see. So, how can we put this into practice? Today, I want us to consider five applications as we think about this this series of holy expressions of worship and being attentive to God's glory in our daily life, worshiping God in this way. Five things I want us to, to consider. And the first one is this. Stop trying to feel God. My goal in this message, and much, 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 much more importantly, the Spirit's goal in Psalm 19 is not to put you on a quest to try to feel God as you go about your life in some sort of experience. If we do this, we should not be surprised to find ourselves thinking that God is absent from us. Because when we approach God in this way, the one who is the transcendent creator, who is not to be put on the same plane of existence if anything in his creation, we really cheapen who he is. Because what we're effectively saying is that God is some experience that can be sought like any other thing that we seek in this creation. But God is not like anything else in this world. If we believe the scripture's testimony that he is the one who sustains everything and is the source of all that is true, good, and beautiful in this world, then we do not attempt to feel God like he's something alongside other things. Instead, we begin to perceive his goodness all around us. Because if we allow the scriptures to be the lens through which we see the world, We'll be like we'll we'll understand what Paul is saying in Acts 17 and be set free from the trap of trying to feel God. Because we'll recognize that God is 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 here. He's omnipresent, manifesting his glory all around us for all of creation, is testifying to his goodness and glory. So stop trying to feel God, one, and then two, let your daily worship thrust you into a posture of contemplation. David prayed to the Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, David's vision for daily worship, for being attentive to God's glory in his life, was not something that was relegated to the quiet time. Hear me say this. It wasn't, it wasn't relegated just to the, the, the quiet time. He spent time in the scriptures, certainly. He engaged God daily in prayer, most definitely. But he did not isolate that from the rest of his day. He allowed his time in the scriptures and in prayer to lead him to go through life, all of life, in a contemplative, worshipful manner. And I believe that some of us, myself included, might be missing or struggling in daily worship because we're missing this aspect As Randy taught last week, having such designated times for daily worship are crucial. They're they're crucial. But when when our focus is entirely on the quiet time, such that we disconnect that time for the rest of our day, we miss the larger picture. And I think this can be helpful for some of y'all, like myself and others who might be in busier seasons of life. Because whether you're able to pull away for 5 or 15 minutes or an hour... The point is not how much time you're able to put in in that quiet time period, but that the time you are able to put in thrusts you into a a, a posture of worship throughout the day, A, a posture that contemplates what you're seeing, what you're seeing in creation, and letting that move you to worship God and be attentive to his glory as you go about your day. But to do that, you're gonna need to do this third thing which is learn to see with spiritual eyes. Uh, in our life group curriculum a, a couple weeks ago, this same point was made. I mean, this is the exact same point that was in that curriculum two weeks ago, but it's worth repeating. Because I had written in that, in that lesson that our vision is often too shallow and too carnal. And we, and we, we perceive the joys of this life, but we, we miss the one who makes them Joyful. We see the sunset, but miss the artist. We rejoice in our kids' talents and abilities, but miss the one who designed them in them, in him, in them. We we love to hear the melody of the birds, but miss the composer. I like the way that T.M. Moore has said it. He said, How often the scriptures urge us to use our senses to perceive and experience the goodness, greatness, and mercy of God and to learn something of how we should relate to him. Sparrows, lilies, mountains, rivers, coins, fallen towers, millstones, people marrying, burying their dead, or paying their alms, sounds, tastes, and all manners of sensation. All of these and much, much more offer us the opportunity for precious insights into the ways and will of God. But we are too busy, too much in a hurry, or too distracted by the mundaneness of it all to think more deeply about what God might be trying to say to us. You see, nothing in creation is merely natural if we have the spiritual eyes given to us by Christ. It might require us to slow our pace or grow in our understanding of the scriptures, but we ought to strive to see the world around us with the spiritual eyes of the the new people that God has made us to be. And then fourth, don't delay your praise. Again, this is the same point from Life of a couple of weeks ago. But over and over again, I think we see something in the scriptures through Paul's writings. We see him do something that I think is a little bit curious. He writes about deep truths of who God is and what he has done, and then it's like he can't contain himself. He immediately goes into doxologies about who God is and giving him praise and worship. And I think this is a good pattern for our lives. There's no reason to delay your praise for something that happened on Tuesday for Sunday or Wednesday. No, as we go about our days and we contemplate God's goodness with spiritual eyes, we will be confronted, you will be confronted with truths about who God is and His goodness. And in those moments, my my challenge to us all, myself included, is, is that we would not stifle the Spirit's work in that moment, but that we would immediately praise God for His goodness. Now, it may be that you sing something or you, you go into a prayer. It may be that you just whisper in the quietness of that moment a few, a few word prayer. Oh, Lord, you're magnificent. Oh, God, your glory is on display. Or it may be that you just are still silent before the, the magnificence of God. Whatever it is that you do, my, my my plea to you is as you're as you're you're seeing God God's works in creation with spiritual eyes and contemplating them. Don't delay your praise, but immediately offer such 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 offerings of praise to the Lord. And then fifthly, invite others to worship their Creator. The Westminster Catechism rightly states that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What that means is is your entire reason for being, your purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. So as those who've been made new by Christ, given eyes to see, who know the joy, the soul-satisfying joy of worshiping God, not just on Sundays, but throughout your life, as we were created to do, we ought to invite others into that goodness. We ought to invite others to know and to experience the very reason why they were created. We ought to invite others to worship their Creator, testifying to them of the good news of the gospel that hey, there is one who has come, and He is the Creator. And he has made a way that you might have the eyes of your heart open so that you might see with spiritual eyes because you've been made new by the work of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways I think we can get the ball rolling is actually on the front of your handout. So take it out with, take it out with me. This is, this, is, uh, this is Randy's contribution to the sermon. Just kidding. There's other parts in here that are Randy's contribution too. <laughs> but he had wrote this up and and this is something that he's going to be talking about more next week as well but he says with hearts conditioned to worship the Lord let's pause throughout the week to give glory to God be it a sunrise or sunset the beauty or intricacy of creation maybe the laugh of a toddler or God's word and his spirit's presence pause this week and worship the God of glory if possible, capture the moment's essence with a picture and share it with Meadowbrook by emailing it to pastor at or tagging your post with the hashtag mbchurchal. And in doing so, we'll share some of these posts and photos in the coming days, hopefully causing others to rejoice in God's goodness. And it's just a simple way that we can invite others, believers, to worship their Creator. And even point to non-believers that, hey, the good things that you enjoy in this life, they actually, they actually point to your creator. Do you know that you can know him? You can, you can, you can be reconciled to him. You're an, enemy, you're an enemy of his right now, but Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. You can know your creator and worship him. So that's one of the ways, but however you go or choose to go about it, this is what I want us to be. I want us to be people who are attentive to the glory of God in our daily lives such that we worship Him throughout our days and calling others to do the same. If you would, pray with me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, You are the Creator. You are the Lord of glory. All of heaven all the earth proclaims your glory truly day after day night after night testifies proclaims, shouts your goodness for you are good and you are worthy to be praised oh God Forgive us. Forgive us for our shallow vision, our carnal appetites that just miss your glory. You swing and whiff. Oh God, how often we do so. How often, even worse, do we exchange your glory and worship the creature rather than the creator. Forgive us, oh Lord. Oh, we are so grateful for your mercy and grace. Help us by your spirit to live lives that are attentive to your glory in our daily life and lives that just are are expressions, holy expressions of worship around the clock. For it is the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.